Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show for making the show financially viable. Our sponsors for this second hour are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me once again G. Edward Griffin, He's a documentary film producer and author of various books. No doubt the one he is best known for is The Creature from Jekyll Island, which I tell everybody is a must-read. In fact, I think if you want to really understand, if you really care about our country and you really want to understand why we are in the sort of financial mess we're in and why the middle class is being destroyed, that is the best place to go to start with. As a matter of fact, last summer when I was home uh, in Ohio where I graduated from high school, I met the the principal of the school and he asked me he said jay if there is one book that you would uh, that i that you would tell me my seniors should read before they leave high school what would it be and i said well without a doubt it would be the creature from jekyll island by g edward griffin so because i have felt that this is such an important book in terms of laying the groundwork for understanding what is going on Ed Griffin uh, was, in fact, my very first guest on this show back in March of 2009. So I'm very, very pleased to have with you, with me once again, Ed uh, Griffin. Thank you very much for coming on my show. Well, th- thanks for inviting me, Jay. I'm, I'm honored to uh, have been your first guest. I know that your program has become uh, terrifically successful, and I, I know I had nothing to do with it. But to well, I think that- you. Well, to be the number one guest, I'm I'm very honored at that. Thank well, I think you had a great deal to do with it. First of all, you helped me understand what's going on, which uh, in in the uh, in our financial system, and with that, of course, uh, we followed up with other people that fit that topic. Namely, Ron Paul was a, a, my third guest. Mark Faber, a financial analyst who understands the need for freedom and free markets, was the second guest, and then we went on 
with a litany of guests, mostly freely free market orientated people, many people uh, that you would know and uh, revere as well. So, but you were the starting point, and don't say you didn't have anything to do with it. You had a great deal to do with it. Your uh, your book has been a very big success, uh, a really big success. Do you have any idea at this stage, Ed, how many copies of uh, the creature from Jekyll Island have been sold? Uh, yeah, sort of a round figure, uh, Jay. In the English edition, which of course is the biggest edition, we've had we've had other editions in other countries, uh, Germany, even Japan. Imagine that. But in the English edition has uh, probably topped a half a million copies by now. Well, that's fantastic. So I I know that people when people read it, you know, they're skeptical, but once they read the book. Uh, they they become believers because you've done such a good job of I think of footnoting and documenting your evidence. You don't shoot from the hip, uh, Ed. You really are very careful, and I think that's. I would just tell all those listeners out there who haven't bought this book yet, haven't read this book. Be sure you read it. Whether you read somebody else's copy or buy it, we'd like to. Of course, Ed would like to have you buy it, but read it. It's most important that you do because I think it's it's really that important. You know, we're not taught anymore in our schools. Uh, the the Constitution. We're not taught anymore uh, our history and and how we threw off uh, tyranny in this country. How we how our founding fathers threw off tyranny, and we don't really understand the virtues of limited government. So um, I think that that book helps to understand. Also helps people understand who the powers are behind the throne that are really that are really causing things to happen. Um, well, Ed, you know, I'd like to really start, talk a lot about uh, an article that you've recently written, a short article that you put out to your list that talks about phase two of the monetary collapse. But before we get to that, there's um, another, uh, my other guest earlier today, uh, Jim Garrell, was talking about the, um, the litmus test that uh, President Obama is putting forward to top military brass, and that would have uh, the top military brass being willing and saying that they are willing to fire on American citizens if they're commanded to do so by the commander in chief, uh, does that does that ring true to you? Does it sound like something that it seems almost incredible uh, to most people that that uh, that our military brass would be asked to do that? Uh, and as I understand it, they are really asked to obey the Constitution first and foremost uh, more than the President of the United States. Is, isn't that true? And, and what is your response to that allegation? Well, I, I certainly agree with you, Jay, that it, it seems shocking to have it stated in plain English like that. But when you think about it, it's not so shocking because the military for a long time now has been under a process where uh, two important changes uh, are taking place. One is it's becoming internationalized. So it's no longer viewed, our military is not just an American force uh, defending America against its enemies, but it's taken on this international role of bringing, uh, you know, uh, democracy to the world or bringing about regime change or uh, engaging in some kind of humanitarian effort and so forth. So it's the internationalization process. And also it's uh, another process where it's it's uh, being used to focus on civil disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of fighting a foreign war, the, there are obvious changes going on in the military where even the equipment being built for the military has changed from, uh, you know, from uh, like uh, tanks and that kind of thing and long-range artillery is being changed to personnel carriers mm-hmm. and uh, means of moving troops within 
your own population. And this has been going on for a long time, and I've seen excerpts from Army manuals and so forth talking more and more about operations on your own soil. Well, we saw this uh, a lot, you know, during the uh, hurricane uh, down in Louisiana, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. The troops were going through the streets mm-hmm. uh, with rifles, uh, automatic weapons. Well, why were they carrying weapons if they weren't uh, sort of in the back of their mind being expected to fire on Americans? What do you right. carry guns among Americans for if you don't expect to use them? Right. So when you put all this together, even though it's a shocking thing to hear it said in so many words, it just makes sense. It, it is a process that definitely is going on. Well, do you think the move to take away uh, firearms from Americans uh, might be part of this uh, part of this movement as well? For I think very few people understand that the um, that the right to bear arms was a concern of our founding fathers uh, earlier in our republic because of uh, the right to defend ourselves against uh, against a government, right? A government that runs awry. Well, yes, that was the whole purpose of it. The, the militia in the, in the minds of the founding fathers um, was the last defense against uh, tyranny. Now, it's true that the primary concern in those days was tyranny from abroad, you know, from from other another country mm-hmm. uh, invading your land, and we needed uh, the militia to grab the muskets off of the mantle and meet the invading hordes or whatever. Uh, That was the primary focus. But it's also true that they were concerned when they were creating this new government called the United States, that they were concerned of what might happen to that government. Might it not also become tyrannical? And they talked a lot about that. And they all pretty much agreed that, well, as a last resort, a last defense against that happening, we'll just keep that militia well-armed, you know. And so it was a reality in the minds of the people that drafted the Constitution. Mm-hmm. They didn't put the Second Amendment in there uh, so you could protect yourself against burglars or that you could have the right to hunt deer or quail. That mm-hmm. had nothing to do with it. It was all about protecting yourself and your country mm-hmm. and your community against mm-hmm. uh, tyranny. Yeah, and yet the birds and uh, the uh, you know the animal the hunting purpose as well as protecting yourself against burglars is the only justification that uh, say the people that want to do away with arms see for owning arms these days. I, I believe. Well, they want to limit the debate to that because that yeah. gets off into areas that are, are not really germane to the purpose of the Second Amendment. Right. Well, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski said. I just saw this quote from him this morning when I was doing some research. Uh, he says, it is infinitely easier to kill a million people than to control a million people. So for those of our listeners that may not be familiar who Zbigniew Brzezinski is, maybe can you tell our listeners a little bit about him, who he is? Well, he's one of the, he's one of the, uh, the big brains behind the uh, foreign policy of the United States government over several administrations. He's written books. He's, uh, he's just one of the, the uh, brainstormers that uh, the United States uh, government has used as, you know, the big thinkers. And they follow his philosophy a lot. He's uh, part of the Council on Foreign Relations. And I think the speech that you were referring to was a speech actually given either at the Council on Foreign Relations or its sister organization in England, 
the Royal Institute for International Affairs. I've forgotten where mm-hmm. he was, but it was one of those two groups, I believe. Uh-huh. Well, and it's a shocking uh, a statement, it seems well, to me. It's a shocking statement, but you know, it's a true statement. If you just yeah. back away from it and think, well, yeah. yeah, it's easier to kill people and to control them. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they say, did you ever try to herd cats? Well, you no, know, you can't. It's easier to kill a cat than to herd a cat. <laughs> So what, basically, if you just sort of look at it coldly and analytically, he was correct when he said that. But the question is, why did he say it? What was, what was he thinking about? Why was that even brought up? And, uh, of course, then that requires an analysis of the rest of his speech. And when you analyze the speech, it wasn't quite as uh, draconian as it would sound, mm-hmm. because he wasn't advocating that you kill a million people. Right, he was he stating was, that. He was advocating yeah. that you control a million people, but he was saying right. it's easier to kill them than to control them. And so, therefore, he was saying, we have a hard job of controlling a million people. Yeah, well, they have a hard job, but I, I would dare say, as one of our guests in the past, a, a Russian that uh, was very familiar with the Russian, uh, uh, the, uh, the Soviet Union situation before it fell down, that the Soviets, uh, we, that our propaganda machine is far better, far more efficient, far more capable than the one that the Soviets had. He said that the, in the Soviet Union you saw the hammer and sickle on the wall and you knew there was a bunch of thugs that were forcing their way. In America we have some, you know, we have really well-dressed, well-educated, well-spoken, seemingly very civil people that are getting us to behave in ways that are not in our interest. For example, the uh, the Federal Reserve and the bailouts and so on and so forth. But I, one more issue here before we get to economics, Ed, and I'd like to just pass this idea by you. It, it seems to me, and as I remember discussing dictatorships when I was a student in school decades ago, dictatorships argue that the ends justifies the means. Are we in America entering into that kind of thinking? I think that America has followed that kind of thinking for many, many decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, again, one of those philosophical issues that if you really pick at it and dig deeply, you can find uh, some merit for it. And it's it's not a cut and dry thing. It's not all black and white because, in truth, some ends do justify some means. Mm-hmm. But the implication is that uh, any ends... Uh, or, or or some or all means justify any ends. You get into that discussion, you know. Uh, you know what they say: the uh, in warfare, the only immoral act is to lose. Well, in a way, that's true. If you're fighting for your survival of your country and your family, uh, are there any means that are you know not justified to save your life or to save your country, to save your family? So. Um, uh, you can pick at it, you know, and begin to, and, and you all of a sudden you begin to sound like liberal. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's true. <laughs> and, I guess, and I say that in jest because you know, liberals do have uh, a reputation for overthinking and overpicking things apart. But conservatives, whatever they are, and whatever liberals are, have have a justified uh, reputation for not thinking at all about things and just going by rote. So somewhere in the middle, you know, there is some some justification, some some truth. I think this issue of the means justify the ends is a kind of a diversion because in truth some means do justify some ends, but not all means justify all ends. So now we've got to start talking about which means and which ends are we talking about. Well, that would, be a, that would be a discussion for a different day. What I do want yeah. to do is get into the monetary collapse issue that's taken place, and it seems to me that uh, it, you know, on this topic of the ends justifies the means, certainly we saw the notion that uh, we had to bail out the big banks because all of us would be hurt worse if the big banks weren't bailed out. And I have to think that in the short run that might have been true, 
but in the longer run, not so, not so, not necessarily the case. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think even in the short run we had any uh, any benefit from bailing out a failed institution, whether it's a bank, uh, a uh, a medical institution, uh, a school, or I don't care what kind it is. Um, I don't think there's any obligation on the part of the taxpayers to put up the money for a failed uh, institution. Um, and unless you would call it the military, you know, if, if the military is failing and is defending the country against a foreign aggressor or something like that, then you might say, well, yeah, we better cough up the money and otherwise we're all going to wind up as, as slaves. Okay, that's the argument there. But that's not what we were dealing with with the financial institutions. The financial institutions had such tremendous and still do have such tremendous uh, influence in the halls of Congress that they can uh, get these guys that they, you know, they fund, they, they actually literally put them into office, so they have very loyal congressmen and very loyal uh, senators in there doing their bidding. They get them to propose just about any kind of legislation and, and phrase it in such a way that it seems like all this money that they're taking from the taxpayer somehow is at the same level as this military uh, adventure to save the country, in other words. Right. And so they use that rhetoric to make it seem like, oh, golly, we've got to do this, otherwise the nation is going to suffer. And it's all rhetoric. You know it's not true. Yeah. Well, uh, you and I know it's not true, but I think the masses of people probably, uh, as you were saying, the, the conservatives uh, go by road and they don't think. So, uh, and I think probably that's true of no matter what label, political label you you wear, people, uh, it seems to me that we are all sort of like monkeys, way too much just sort of um, doing what we're told, unfortunately, and there aren't enough thinkers as far as I'm concerned. But let's let's think a little bit about wh- how we got into this situation that we're in now. How, Ed, you talk, you know, the, the creature from the Jekyll Island, as I said uh, in introducing you, I think uh, lays out the foundations for our uh, economic pathology. Could you just uh, talk to us a little bit about how did we get into the first phase of this monetary crisis? And then I want to ask you a, a bit more about phase two that you talked about the other day. But lay the groundwork for our people that, that maybe aren't familiar with the creature from Jekyll. I think an awful lot of my listeners here now do know uh, a lot about um, about how we've gotten into this situation we're in. But let's go over it a little bit. The Federal Reserve is created by some very rich, wealthy, powerful international banking families. Was it not back in 1913? Yeah, and that's, of course, a big tableau of, a tableau of history that I know we don't have time to cover in detail. And so I think, uh, to summarize it, we'll have to move quickly. Yes, sure. The Federal Reserve was created by a, a cluster of very powerful and influential Banks and those banks were dominated by banking dynasties. And we were talking about, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan, William Rockefeller, and even overseas, these firms were connected very closely with, uh, like the Rothschild family and the Warburgs and people like that. Uh, that isn't so much important. Uh, the fact is that the Federal Reserve was formed. It was given a monopoly over the nation's money. It was presented to the American people as though it was a government agency, but the shocking fact is it isn't. It wasn't and never was intended to be a government agency. It was made to look like that, uh, but in fact it was a banking cartel. There's no different than an oil cartel or a banana cartel, which happened to be a banking cartel. It was run by the member banks, and they convinced Congress to transfer to them 
the power over the nation's monetary system, the ability to create money, to extinguish money, to extend credit, even issue paper money. Now, the paper money, as you know, is no longer called a treasury bill or note. It's called a Federal Reserve note. And uh, so even the money is issued by this private group of banks. And uh, so there we have an amazing uh, situation which is fraught with uh, potential for fraud. And, in fact, that's exactly what happened. You give a group of men the ability to control the monetary system of the nation, and they're going to abuse that power because it's profitable to them to do so. So there you had the situation in place. And so what happened? This group started to uh, create money out of thin air. They could. They were given the legal power to do so. Prior to that, it was all backed by gold and silver, which meant that the quantity of money that could be put into circulation was limited by the amount of gold and silver that had been mined from the earth and had been put into bars and coins and put into the vaults and so forth. So the, the value of that was that it limited the quantity of money, which is a very good thing. Because under those circumstances, the quantity of money expanded at almost exactly the same rate that the quantity of goods and services expanded. Yeah, Ed, if you- I might just if I might just uh, interject something there, I think it was Bill Gross this morning. I was reading; uh, he was talking about us having a Ponzi scheme in essence, and the, obviously gold and silver uh, didn't allow you to, to increase the monetary base as you as you did uh, as we you know as we are now. Uh, but but we did have fractional reserve banking. That's another topic, of course. But but um, the point is that he he called Bill Gross, nonetheless, today used that terminology, uh, essentially saying that we have a Ponzi scheme. Well, he's absolutely right, and because they, they can create more money, and of course. To explain that, you have to understand what money is. It's, it, it, we sometimes say they make it out of thin air, which is not exactly true because it's backed by debt. It used to be backed by something of tangible value, gold and silver, so it limited the supply. Well, now it's just backed by debt because money comes into existence not when somebody dumps an ounce of gold or silver into the vault, but when somebody comes to the bank and takes out a loan. Well, now that's the limit, too, because you have to convince people to take out a loan, but that's a lot easier to do, (laughs) a lot easier to loan money to people than to uh, dig gold and silver out of the earth and and refine it. So consequently, when money is backed by debt, uh, it expands at a much faster rate than it would be if it were backed by gold and silver, which takes human effort to produce, especially in this modern age where uh, some of the biggest borrowers on earth, like governments and large corporations, uh, know that because of their political influence, if everything goes bad on the debt and they can't repay, why? They won't have to repay. It'll be passed on to the taxpayers. They'll be bailed out. So it's under those circumstances, you see, you can, you can create a lot of money by just loaning money into existence. Mm-hmm. People who are borrowing money know that they don't have to repay it if it goes bad. So, therefore, a cut to the chase, what happens and what has happened over the past couple of decades is that the money supply of this nation and most of the other nations of the world following the same pattern, the money supply has expanded at an exponential rate faster than the goods and services to offset it. And we have this, this horrible thing called inflation. And this inflation is just eating away the purchasing power of the monetary unit, and it's eating away the very soul of America mm-hmm. because uh, people are in debt. 
and they cannot repay. Now, the corporations don't have to repay because they're bailed out. The banks are bailed out. Governments are bailed out through the taxpayers. But individuals are not bailed out. They're the ones that, you know, they lose, they lose their homes. They, they lose everything. They, they wind up out of work because the companies have gone bankrupt that are formerly employing them and so forth. So this is the, the real honest purpose, or not the purpose, but the cause of the economic decline in America and through most of the world is this dastardly monetary system which is not backed by anything except political decree. That's at the core of it all. It's enriching the the uh, politically favored class. It's impoverishing the middle class. It's destroying uh, everyone's uh, freedom as well as their economic base. Because when they're when people are out of food and and they uh, they're destitute, they turn to government for help. The government creates more money out of nothing, but in return, the government takes away some of their freedom. And so, the more money they get from the government, the more the government does for them the less freedom they're allowed to have. And so the whole thing just goes down down the drain in a huge gurgling spiral. And it's well, all because of the monetary system. Well, Ed, you know, a good part of uh, what America has, I mean, we've had a pretty good economy. Uh, we've had a lot of prosperity, seemingly so, since 1913 the Fed was created. But as you pointed out, a good part of this had to do with the, with the fact that, uh, I suppose the, the spoils of World War One, World War Two, where we had uh, the ability, especially after World War Two, the dollar became the world's uh, reserve currency. This allowed us then to create money out of nothing, and use that money to go over and buy buy things from people abroad, to buy goods, uh, to buy all all manner of, of tangible items and goods from the rest of the world, didn't it? But how long can that go on yet? Well, it just goes on so long as people are, uh, other countries in other countries are are willing to accept these paper things from us, and that went on much longer than I thought it would have. In fact, I thought it was going to come to an end back in the '60s or '70s for sure. Mm-hmm. But what I hadn't taken into account is that these other countries had monetary systems that many of them were even worse than ours. And so they couldn't use their own money for any reasonable transaction. They they really wanted these American dollars. That was the reserve currency. And after all, America was the, the strongest nation in the world, and we had the military to back us up. So if, uh, you know, if, if somebody didn't want to repay, we sent the military over. Right. Some pretense, like, oh, that's a terrorist country. It, it's right. just like the mafia. You know, when, when you borrow money from the mafia, you better repay it, because otherwise Guido shows up. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's pretty much what it has been on the international stage. If you don't, if you borrow money from the United States or refuse to use the U.S. dollar, Guido shows up in the form of the U.S. military. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Ed, uh, the monopoly of the U.S. dollar, of course, the, the euro is there as well. Uh, a theory from a, a well-educated, uh, well-knowledgeable Chinese person that I that I know here. He actually was in the Chinese military at one time. He's an American citizen now. But he had a very interesting idea about this conflict, this recent conflict between Japan and China over the islands in the East China Sea. He was noting that right before that that issue erupted, there, the China and Japan were talking about coming together and trading, but not with U.S. dollars, but using their own currencies. Mm-hmm. And his theory is that we may have uh, our CIA or our uh, 
we may have tried to ferment some some that issues to drive a wedge between the two. His his theory is that we can't really have t- more than two. The U.S. can't have more than two currencies. If you get three or more, then it's very difficult to control it, if not impossible. So his theory is just like we need two political parties in America, we can't allow a third powerful party. You need to have uh, a limitation on on that competition. Does that make any sense to you? It makes total sense to me, absolutely. Because by allowing limited competition, when it's not real competition at all, in fact, when both when both sides of the uh, of the competing process are pretty much dominated by the same people, it at least creates the illusion of of uh, freedom of choice. Right. But in fact, it's not there. And people often will settle for the illusion. If you just make it one. Then they get mad and say, hey, I don't have any choice. But if you give them right. two choices, like Republican or Democrat, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference if they're both the same. They say, well, at least i got a choice. You know? Yeah, U.S. dollar uh, or euro, you have a yeah, choice. Right, right, I have a choice. Uh, well, in any event... And they're, so, both fiat, and they're both fiat currencies. Yeah, they're both, they're both the same worthless currencies. And yeah. so, so, so we've had this expansion of money and debt. The debt has grown much more rapidly than income, too, Ed, which is really, I think, what's choking us now. We're, we're, uh, we're an enslaved nation, and... And clearly, the, it's parasitic. The people at the top are eating away at the people that really produce the wealth, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, the doctors, the people that actually do things that help us are being taken advantage of, in my view. And so we've had, and, and of course, then the system is uh, is not able to pay for its pay its way because the debt has grown so much more rapidly than income. So we had phase one of the monetary crisis, and I guess you would say that conclu- that phase one was, was basically the Lehman Brothers' failure? Yeah, I think that's probably a good uh, place to put it. It's when all of a sudden the uh, house of cards starts to fall, when the first couple of cards, uh, you know, crumple. It doesn't take long thereafter when the whole thing comes down, but there is a brief moment of hesitation, and I think we're Historically, we're at that moment right now. A couple of cards are fall, have already fallen, and if you look above, you can see all the rest of them are shaking, and it's, you know they're coming down. Now, that's what I meant when I said we are now in phase two. There's no mm-hmm. doubt, no doubt anymore, that the cards are coming down. They're not all down yet, but uh, there's no way to prop them back up now. It's uh, that's historical. Well, we had phase one. Lehman Brothers was very painful. It's been about four years now or so since that's taken place. Uh, phase two, phase one was very, very painful. What Are you saying that phase two is going to be worse? Oh, yes, of course, because that's when the cards come down. You know, that that's when it becomes obvious and when the word crisis becomes almost a, a daily word on almost everything. You know, everywhere you look, there'll be crisis, crisis. That would be the favorite word of the day. Um, so that's what I mean by phase two, because things are definitely no longer manageable. So people will no longer accept an illusion at that time. I think that's the case. Uh, up to a point, the only illusion they will continue to accept, perhaps, is that the government can fix it. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it, obviously not, not grounded on any, on any historical evidence, is it? No. No, but it's, it's grounded on hope. And it's, it's grounded on a misconception of, of what the government really is. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking, you were speaking a moment ago about how uh, the system feeds upon itself, and I was thinking the word parasite was a very good mm-hmm. word. And it reminded me of the other day I was driving through some beautiful country here in uh, mid-California, and at this season all those beautiful oak trees are dormant. 
And you can see the moss that is uh, over so many of them. The moss is very evident in, at this time of the year, when not so much during the summertime. And I thought, oh my gosh, that moss, that's a parasite. And it's killing those trees. Hmm. Every year, the moss gets a little thicker, a little more uh, healthy, and the oak tree gets a little weaker. It's supplying the moss. And at the end of it, you can see hundreds, thousands of oak trees around this area that, that are killed. They're dead. Deader than a doornail. And of course, at that point, the moss also dies. But it just reminded me of what happens in the political arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, this collectivist creature and this phony monetary system is a, is a parasite. Government and bankers are, are parasites, and they're drawing the sap, the lifeblood, out of this beautiful oak tree, this thing called America. Mm-hmm. And they're weakening it. And they're, they're going to kill it. And yeah. when they kill it, they too will be out of sustenance. But they don't care. As long as they get the free sap right now, they don't care. Well, I guess that there will be a small ruling elite, though, under any under any circumstance, right? A very, very tiny ruling elite that will own, essentially, hopefully, they want to own the world. They want to form and move towards a one-world government. Isn't that their goal? Yes, I, there's no doubt about that. And we're moving in that direction, are we not? We have been moving in that direction, mm-hmm. obviously, since World War I. Uh-huh. All right, so, I mean, you know, these, Ed, I know that you have been very courageous in trying to get people to understand this problem, to mobilize, uh, and to, you know, to, to educate people so that they can do something about it, and we all would like to, you know, Congressman Paul on this show has, has done what he can and continues to fight the good fight try to help people understand the origins and, and how we got our liberty and that that is at stake right now. As Ron Paul has said, as long as we have our freedom, we can bounce back economically. But if you take our freedom away, we're in big trouble. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to be able to revive our economic health and our well-being. So uh, I, I know that you are very much about fighting the good fight. But at the, at the same time, we also have to take care of our families and our individual selves as much as possible in light of all of this, uh, this parasitic activity that's going on around us. Now, you have talked about something called the Success Council that has some, some good ideas about how people might be able to protect themselves. Could you talk to us a little bit about that for the last minute or yeah, two? Yeah, I'd we have be happy left. to. I have no connection with the Success Council, but they're a group of people who think a lot like we do. And they approached me and they said, we have uh, a seminar, a series of videos, mm-hmm. some instruction. It's kind of like a video magazine in a way or a book. And they said, uh, you know, we'd like you to take a look at it. And if you like it, would you recommend it to your, uh, to your subscribers? So I looked at it and I said, sure. I, I, I think it's good. And so that they call themselves the, Su- the Success Council. And I know the key people there are actually they're part of our organization voluntarily. They support us. Mm-hmm. And so I knew long before the Success Council was formed, I knew who those people were. So I had a lot of confidence in them. And basically what they're doing is they're offering two uh, two courses right now. One is a, a long course that will take many, many, many weeks to go through. It's the one I highly recommend, especially because not only are they showing people how to financially uh, benefit and uh, survive the the economic chaos that is upon us or about to be upon us, but they go further than anyone else has ever done, and they also talk a lot about how to reverse the system, how to change it, how to fix it, 
It's not mm-hmm. just about money because they understand, as you and I do, that right. if this goes full course and as Congressman Paul says, we lose our freedom, then it's over, folks. It doesn't make any difference how much money you have earned because the totalitarians will take it all anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like the Success Council because they're the only people in this in this field of talking about economic crisis and how to how to survive it and so forth. There are a lot mm-hmm. of those people. These are the only ones, though, that talk about how to fix the system. So right. I like that. Now, oh. uh, this uh, mailing that I sent out that you're referring to is for those who don't have as much time to go to all of that or, or as much money. It's a, a very inexpensive uh first step into this program they're mm-hmm. talking about uh, a look on gold and silver how how can you acquire gold and silver mm-hmm. as quickly as possible and they're talking about pitfalls to uh to avoid mm-hmm. and uh, one of, of course one of the major pitfalls uh, that people make when they suddenly realize that gold and silver is a sound place to put your money if you want to preserve your purchasing power one of the first mistakes they make is they trust somebody else to hold it Right. They buy they buy they buy paper gold as they call it. They get a, yeah. they get a piece of paper off the internet or through the mail. It says you are the proud owner of twenty ounces of gold or whatever yeah. it is. Oh, boy, you you're not. You're the proud possessor of that piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when push comes to shove, it it turns out that a lot of these uh, organizations don't have the gold or the silver. Yeah. And so that, things like that. Very practical yeah. tips are being right. offered by the Success Council. Well, I, tell our- highly recommend it. Well, tell our listeners, Ed, how they can get on your mailing list and how they can avail themselves perhaps to the Success Council and their and the products that they're offering. Oh, well, that's excellent. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, first thing is to get on our mailing list. It's a free list. We put out a weekly uh, news service called Unfiltered News. So just look it up on the Internet. It's Unfiltered News. And you might put my name, Griffin, on it, and you'll be right there, and you can sign up. It's, uh, you can, it's, as I say, it's no charge. And we put out a weekly service. In fact, tonight's my night, my homework night. I'll be working all night for tomorrow's edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you get uh, when you sign up for that and get the first edition of Unfiltered News, you will see a, a banner which will take you right to the Success Council. Excellent. Very good. And I should uh, also mention to our listeners that you uh, have a host of products, books and films and things that you've been working on over the years that are also available. It is, what site is that at, Ed? Where, where well, yeah, our commercial site is called Reality Zone. Reality Zone. Yeah, realityzone.com. Excellent. Very yeah. good. We have over a hundred different items there, books, recordings, all that kind a of lot of great, A lot of great things there, starting with The Creature from Jekyll Island, which I must uh, tell our listeners once again is an absolute must-read if you care about your country. Thank you, Ed, very much for being with us once again. It's always a pleasure to have you. You sound really, really great for a youngster like you are. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Jay. Good to talk to you again, and hope uh, we'll, we'll do this real soon. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some ideas and comments on today's markets. Don't go away. I'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 
Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I hope you uh, enjoyed Ed Griffin. Uh, always very interesting to listen to Ed. And uh, really sorry that I didn't take more time uh, with Dr. Garrow as well, but we will have him back on again sometime in the near future. A lot more to talk to him about with respect to geopolitics and uh, how uh, it all sort of fits together in terms of economics and uh, what is what is going on right now? If you really understand a lot of what Ed Griffin talked about in the Creature from Jekyll Island, the rest makes a lot of sense. Well, we talked a lot about what's going on politically today. This show does try to uh, also touch on what's important in terms of our pocketbooks, in terms of putting food on our table. And uh, one thing I think that uh, you know we can we can do what we we can do what we. Uh, what we'd like to do, we can try to make things better um, in the big in the big picture. But it really also requires us to take care of our families and, and the people that we love, the people that are closest to us. That is also the primary responsibility. At least those of us that have families, we uh, we have an obligation, obviously. And I mean, one of the one of the things I think that is really troublesome, and this is something I wanted to talk to Jim Garrow about. Uh, was the demolition of the family because if you take away the family and the family structure then you um, uh, then you can you really your society uh, is going to be destabilized it certainly um, in ways that uh, are much much different than what we've had in the past um, anyway let's uh, in, in looking at the at the markets today one of the things I believe is likely to take place, uh, in what I consider this to be a parasitic economy, a, a bubble, a bubble parasitic economy, or as Gene Epstein called it, um, 
really a Ponzi scheme economy. <clears throat> excuse me. Is that um, we are we are seeing um, we are seeing wealth taken away from those that produce it. I like to say it's the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, people that are actually producing things of value that the rest of us use. That's where the real wealth is created. That's where it comes from. <clears throat> and certainly capital is a very, very essential part of wealth creation, which is what the Keynesians and the communists and the Obamas don't understand. They don't understand the virtue of capital they don't understand the virtue of real capital. Real capital is capital that comes from savings, not capital that's created out of the printing press, as Mr. Bernanke. Mr. Bernanke is creating capital out of printing press. He's not really creating any new capital. All he's doing is redistributing the claims against the wealth, against the real capital. Uh, the redistribution of wealth, which any good Marxist socialist loves to do, and they share it with their friends, and there's always a, an aristocracy within a communist system as well in which the parasites get fatter and richer at the expense of everybody else. Well, that's what I think is going on. And in the market, though, it is, you know, as my wife likes to say, it is, it is what it is. And uh, if that's the situation, that's the system we have, then we have to try to survive as best we can. And what I see now uh, in the, um, the work that I do suggests very definitely <clears throat> excuse me, that the system is expanding again, that we are having asset inflation again, another bout of it. Uh, we The inflation deflation watch that I use has broken out above a pennant formation and suggests to me that, we're, that we could be off to the races to much, much higher equity prices. And the bond prices, well, is the long bond going to uh, – are we going to see finally an end of the bull market in bonds? Well, as long as the Federal Reserve continues to buy, uh, it's buying over 60%, I understand now, of new debt creation in America. As long as that goes on, uh, then we, we uh, you know, probably interest rates stay very low and real savings get stolen from the people that actually save their money. Uh, but that's the game and that's, that's the, those are the, you know, that's the hand that we're dealt and we have to play with it. So I think, uh, what you have to do is try to be on the long side of this market. And I'm saying that realizing that it's very, very dangerous. I think uh, one person that I, that I highly respect that is a uh, fund manager said you can play Russian roulette essentially is what you're doing. I mean, we could see one day the whole house of cards fall uh, fall down because this is a uh, a stock market that is based on liquidity that's pumped into the system and it's not based – uh, on uh, on real growth in the economy. Yes, a lot of corporations are making a lot of money. Let's say the big guys are making money. And, of course, this is what happens in a fascist system. And, by the way, when we talk about fascism, Marxism, communism, you when you really look at it, they're not a lot different. Uh, they're basically the same thing. Uh, it's a, a ruling elite that, that uh, passes laws and hurts uh, the majority of people for their own ends. This is certainly what's going on in the United States. Uh, they will try to doctor, uh, they will try to uh, pass it on as something that is uh, kind and gentle for us, uh, common folks. But in fact, if you look beneath the hood, it's something quite different. But in looking at, uh, the market had a very good day today. I think with the equity market was up very strongly. Bond market was strong. I see the stock, uh, the juniors in Toronto didn't do that well. They were in negative territory today. But I just, just like to mention a couple of words about some of the, the sponsors on, uh, to this show that I think are well worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Dynacor, uh, gold mines, uh, last week, 
one day on relatively small volume just plummeted in price. And the uh, the Toronto uh, exchange shut down the stock, stopped the trading, uh, and asked the company for an explanation if it was something that was going on. Management came out and said, no, there's nothing, actually. Uh, nothing has changed. In fact, everything is looking better. The company just got their permits to build the, the second uh, mill in Peru. Uh, the production is up. Everything is going along well. So why did the stock collapse? And they shut it down and then started after the announcement uh, that there was no news. Uh, the stock came right back to where it uh, where it was trading. It closed uh, today uh, at, uh, well, I'm looking on the screen here at a dollar thirty-five or dollar thirty-six. This is a company that I think you can keep your eye on because they're going to be reporting some assays from their Tumipampa property in the not too distant future. Um, They'll be drilling from underground horizontally from underground. um, In this Tumipampa is a SCARN porphyry system with some underground veining uh, systems that uh, has a fair amount of gold, uh, uh, quite a bit of gold. But the real story here is if they hit something big uh, and they think that the chances are fairly good uh, in this scarring because it's right in the middle of a, of a number of other world-class copper gold, gold copper deposits, uh, if they hit something really big, this stock could really be off to the races. Uh, very few shares outstanding, only 36 million shares. The company keeps earning, uh, keeps producing more gold, keeps earning higher uh, profits. And, you know, we're looking at a stock that's trading at two or three times uh, cash flow with good cash flow um, and lots of growth pro- uh, potential from its exploration efforts as well. Eurasian Resources, uh, a project generator favorite of mine, uh, up four cents today. That is a company I think you really want to keep an eye on as well with huge growth uh, growth pro- uh, prospects. Uh, Miranda Gold, uh, Renaissance Gold are two more project generators that I like very much. Golden Arrow Resources, a new entry, a new uh a new sponsor of this show, uh, have been coming up with some pretty nice assays uh, on a chinchillas project in uh, Argentina. That one looks very good. And also Precipitate Gold, another new company on our list, uh, is looking very good. They just hired a new president uh, and also had some nice uh, sample assays coming off their Ginger Ridge project in the Dominican Republic. We're going to be uh, talking to uh, Jeffrey Wilson, the president of that company, sometime in the near future. And uh, But that uh, stock is selling at 27.5 cents, 25 million shares. So minuscule market cap for Precipitate Gold, PRG, Vancouver, PREIF in the United States. Of course, I cover, um, I'm believing now, all of the companies that our sponsors are in my newsletter with the exception of Precipitate Gold Corp. I'm going to be looking at that one as a possible write-up for my newsletter as well in the near future. Um, again, you can uh, subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, go to um, J. Taylor Media or go to miningstocks.com uh, and um, sign up for uh, a trial subscription there if you like. And um, we hope uh, that you would... I, I really talk every week about the equity markets, uh, I also talk about individual stocks that I really like, and some of them that I think are really looking good uh, are some that Chen Lin has passed on to me from um, uh, from from his newsletter, his excellent newsletter, <clears throat> especially in the refinery uh, business. There's some that are looking really good, and one of my really, I think, one stock that has a chance to be a real moonshot is called Sinodin, uh, Sinodin, 
and that is a pipeline. Um, well, it's a, it's a company that is able to detect pipeline leaks, but that looks like a really exciting penny stock play, selling at about twenty nine cents today. Uh, and uh, SYXXF uh, in the uh, in the U.S. you can buy it under, but it trades also in in Toronto. That's its primary market. Uh, anyway, there's lots of exciting things to look at. Um, there are a lot of troublesome uh, things that we've talked to you about on this show, but at the same time, we need to keep our heads above, uh, uh, up in the air, and we need to keep working hard uh, to try to take care of the uh, of our immediate needs as well. I do have to take a break, and when we come back, uh, I'll have some closing thoughts on today's show and also a word about next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, just some closing thoughts on today's show. Uh, well, it's uh, you could look at it as a real downer, I suppose, in many ways. Uh, and uh, the first reaction that I think most Americans will have to the kind of news that Jim Garrow uh, gave us is disbelief. I think that uh, you look around and things seem pretty good. Uh, this is uh, the home of the, uh, what, the what, what do we say the uh, the land of the free, the home of the brave. But in fact, I think if you really look at Americans these days, uh, I believe that what we're looking for is a 
that, w- that we're looking at is more like a land of cowards, a land that is not looking to uh, to solve their own problems, but a, a country filled with people that believe someone else should take care of them. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and of course, uh, there are people that need to need help in taking care of themselves. That's uh, that's that's for sure. But what is the best way to do that? Well, I you know. Um, we we want to have our cake and eat it too. It's human nature, and that seems to be uh, the direction that, that we are going. Um, it isn't the direction of our founding fathers, the ones that believed in rugged individualism. And uh, I think that uh, Jim Garrow, um, honestly, I think he hit the nail on the head when he said that uh, uh, the connection to a supreme being, the belief in a supreme being that is over uh, and is more powerful than human leaders – uh, is is and was a major part of the establishment of America. The uh, the need to trust in a God or a supreme being. Um, you know, if you if there if you can uh, succeed in getting the the country to believe there is no God, that there that we are all a mistake or um, that we've all been uh, we're here as a result of some freak of nature or um, evolution as opposed to um, uh, to some design. Uh, then uh, you know, then then you go for it, I guess. And if that's what you believe, uh, one of the things that I've tried to do and am doing on this show, and in no small part, because I want to know myself what is the truth, what is really what is really true. Uh, was it what my parents taught me back in Ohio? My uneducated parents that taught me and brought me up with a very religious upbringing, uh, or is it those sophisticated PhDs from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale? Uh, well, because they have PhDs behind their name, do they have the truth? Do they know everything there is to know? And then you find out that they're um, maybe they don't. As a while, we have the Dr. Bernanke. Uh, how successful are his policies? Look at all the great minds through history, and um, the people that were supposed to be uh, so fantastic uh, turned out to be anything but, and have uh, not really made our lives better in many instances, but have made them made them worse. I'm going to have some very interesting guests coming on the show in the near future, Dr. Alvin Schmidt, for example, <clears throat> who uh, has written a lot about, um, well, one of his books is How Christianity Changed the World. Uh, I suppose there will be people out there that are atheists and agnostics who don't want to hear that, uh, and that's fine, but I would just ask that people try to keep an open mind on both sides of the fence. We had uh, we had um, uh, Bugliosi, Vincent Bugliosi, the famous uh, uh, district uh, prosecuting attorney in the Charles Manson case, talk on this show about his views uh, as an agnostic. Uh, we would uh, certainly entertain and, and listen to people who uh, claim to be atheists. Uh, we want to keep an open mind on this, and that's what this show is about. But at the same time, I must say that uh, I think... Um, there's something to be said for structure, the kind of structure that our founding fathers uh, gave us in the Constitution. And that Constitution, sadly, seems to be, um, well, it seems to be ignored to a great extent, greater and greater extent as time goes on. I see that we are just about, <clears throat> excuse me, out of time here. <clears throat> uh, we uh, just want to thank um, Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt uh Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. I should tell you that next week we are going to talk to uh, Dana Siegelman, and she is the daughter of a governor of a southern state who is now in prison, and uh, seemingly both Republicans and Democrats believe that it is a miscarriage of justice created by Karl Rove and some of the henchmen 
of the Bush administration and uh, some powerful corporate interests in the Republican Party that have wanted to see this uh, rising star in the Democratic Party put away. Folks, you know I'm not a Democrat. I'm an American, and it's the Constitution that we need to pay attention to, so keep that in mind. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.